0: Well, all right. Listen, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Romans, chapter nine. Romans chapter nine. This is uh, <clears throat> this is technically I said I was going to take last week and then this week uh, for the section of scripture that we have before us. We're actually going to add a week. Okay, so we, we've got we've got two more weeks with me in this section of scripture, and so what I want to do is. I want to read the text for you, and then today we're going to look at a particular part of it uh, preparing us for next week. What I did for you, though, was I gave you uh, all of the outline. Okay, So you have the whole outline. We will only be looking at point one today, and so I'll I'll go over that with you in just a minute. But if you will, look with me at Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 22, and we're going to read through 29. This is the word of God. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. And here's where we pick up. Even us whom he has called, if you want to, go ahead and circle, even us. Okay, you can circle that. We'll come back to it in just a second. Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Let's pray. Father, we ask, God, that you'd be so kind to us today. That you would give us eyes to see this word and ears to hear this grace. God, I pray that as we study your word today, that you would take areas of our life that are possibly dead and that because of your powerful word that you would bring life into our lives. God, I pray that you would bring humility. I pray that you would bring uh, urgency. And I pray, God, that you would bring purity. Whereas as we study your word today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So listen, I want us to ask a, a question and I'll go ahead and give you the outline and then we're gonna take two weeks on it. And so the, the question is this, and if you look in your worship guide, it's what makes Romans chapter nine, verse 24 through 29 so relevant to Alberta Baptist Church this morning and to every Christian that you know. What makes Romans 9, 24 through 29 so relevant to ABC and to every Christian that you know? And I I'm gonna give there's there's bound to be more, and if the Lord gives more, I'll give more, okay? Uh by next week. But here are the four that He has led me through. And I believe this passage is relevant for at least these four reasons. One, to give us a healthy view of God. Number two to fuel diversity in the church. Number three, to lead us to be humble and thankful. And number four, to challenge us to trust in his surprising grace, to trust in the way that he works. That's what we're gonna look at this week and next week. This week is just number one. Just number one, we're gonna see how this passage helps to give us a healthy view of God. Now, if you are like me and I imagine that some of you are and I wanna almost apologize to you if you are like me because we, in a sense, analyze everything. Now, I don't do that in all areas of life, but when it comes to God's word, I don't just take what somebody says. Like somebody gives me a blanketed statement, I don't just take that. I might have at one point, In my life, but I don't I don't do that, at least not in a general sense. So when I come to a chapter like this with many difficult elements to it, last week was very hard. And when we see words like wrath and mercy, and we see a God who is giving or granting both. I believe that it can cause us to either humble ourselves and trust the Lord or harden our hearts and push back from him. And so one of the sweetest things that the Lord does in this entire chapter is what we're given here in our text today. And I believe that the Lord orchestrates for us through the writing of Paul. uh, He he gives us a window for us to peek through into the heart of God, the character of God, to get a vision of who he is and what he's like in saving people. And that's what we have today. And so I'm delighted to bring it to you, okay? Now, to go to Romans, look look there, and we're, we're just gonna be 24 through verse 26 today. But you gotta pay attention because some of what we talk about today we're gonna need to know for next week, okay? So work with me. So here it is, verse 24. It says, even us whom he has called not from the Jews only but also from the Gentiles. And so remember this whole chapter is helping to uh, make an argument for us to grab a hold of that says we can trust every promise that God has given us in chapter eight. And he's gonna show us that he's not just trustworthy in chapter eight, he's always been trustworthy. And so if we looked at the Jews and we got a grand scope of it and we saw the disbelief or the unbelief and the disobedience and we saw all of these things that we would see if we looked, he says, don't get the idea that God's word failed and that he's starting over. Don't don't get that idea. Because if God gave a promise to the Jewish people and then he backed up from it and said, "Well, actually we're going to start over. Here's a new promise." If he did that, then we might be able to we might sit back and go, "Well, how are we going to know that God's not going to change his mind on us?" And Paul is saying, "God God hadn't changed his mind. God's faithful to his word. God's good. God's right. He's faithful." Here he leads us to begin to distinguish how God's promises are being fulfilled and that there are things that are happening today and yet things that are still to come in the future. And so I won't give you more than that currently, but just understand that in this writing, he's going to say that he's writing this to and one to encourage even us whom he's called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And so the picture here is the church, that the promises that are coming are being fulfilled in the church, in people who were a part of God's people and are gonna be called the remnant, those who believe by faith in Jesus Christ, who were Jews, and those who were outside of the Jewish race, or ethnic Israel who would believe those are Gentiles, those are everybody outside, that's including me, okay, who have believed upon believed upon the Son, that we're now grafted in to his people and are a part of his great promises. Okay? So even us, to whom he's called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says, and then he's gonna go to an Old Testament book of the Bible, Hosea. Now, for you to understand what I believe you need to understand, to understand, I mean, to take in this text, you're gonna have to understand Hosea. And so today, our sermon really, is going to come from the book of Hosea. And so I want to ask you to go ahead and flip from Romans all the way to the Old Testament book of Hosea. If you're not familiar with where it is, don't be ashamed. Just look in the table of contents, okay? Look there, find it, and flip to it. The book of Hosea. And I believe that if we study this in light of what we're given in Romans Nine, I believe that God will give us a healthy view of Himself. So, today, what I want us to see is this, and you can look there in your outline. Today, we need to see our appalling unfaithfulness to God. And we're going to do this as we see Israel's appalling unfaithfulness. Their God. And so, look with me, Hosea, starting in verse 2. I'll read these first two verses and then have some explaining to do for some of you. Okay, you ready? When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking. The Lord, first part of verse 3, so he went and took Gomer. Okay. Now, this is one of the most unusual books that you will find. Hosea is a prophet, which in general means somebody, God will speak to this person, the person will speak to the people, proclaim a message. Hosea, though, has a very unique role as a prophet. And it's one that is very hard to hear and very hard to watch. Hosea is a guy who not only is going to proclaim a message, but his life and his marriage and his kids are going to be a walking, talking illustration of what God is proclaiming through his mouth. Now there is all kinds of interpretations here and we're not gonna worry about breaking down. We're not studying the book of Hosea as a whole today. But for our time, we need to understand this. God at least calls Hosea to marry someone who will be unfaithful to him, okay? Now, I'm not gonna discount that God would call him just to marry her as a prostitute, which is what the language is, but because of many issues that could have with character and many questions that come up, we can know at least this, that God called Hosea to marry Gomer, who would at least be unfaithful to him in their marriage. Now, why would he do this? Well, he tells us. He says, because in this marriage, you will, people of Israel, people of God, and now people of even Alberta Baptist Church and people sitting here today, you will be able to see what your unfaithfulness to God looks like and what God's faithfulness to you looks like. So Hosea is obedient. And he goes and he Mary's Gomer. We're told at the end of verse 3 that she conceived and she bore him a son. Now, his son's name, they named him Jezreel. And this is important for us. It has all kinds of Old Testament significance that we will not discuss today. But for our time, we need to at least know that the name means God will scatter, God will sow. And this can have a positive and a negative meaning. And right here, it's meant to be very negative. In just a little bit, we'll see a positive one. But it's negative. God will scatter. God will, in a sense, he will drop the hammer down and spread them thin. He'll scatter them out. Get them away from their home. Get them away from what they're comfortable with. He will scatter them or he will sow them. In the name of this child is seen the work and the plans of God. We're told after that, verse 6, that she conceived again and bore a daughter. Now keep in mind, it does not say that she bore him a daughter. Okay, now you can look into that as much as you want to. I, I don't know if it matters that much, but I, I know that it says bore him a son, and it says that she bore a daughter. I think it's possible that she had this child outside of their relationship. That would make sense in some ways. But it says that she conceived again and bore a daughter and the Lord said, call her name, no mercy. Or lo, Ruhamah. Call her name, no mercy. And why? He said, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. That's, that's bold. That's a bold name and a reason Why? Verse eight said that when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. Once again, doesn't say bore him a son. It says bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people. Or Loami. ami Why? Why would he say that? He says, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Okay, so that's where we are so far. So understand that the Lord is speaking to a people and he is giving a walking, talking illustration through a family to show that though he has been and he is faithful to the people, the people are not faithful to him. We need to see our appalling unfaithfulness. To God, let's keep looking here. Verse 10 is gonna, out of nowhere, just bring hope in the midst of this sin and hope in the midst of this pain and a plan is given in the midst of rebellion. Look, look at verse 10. It said, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And here's the quote that we just saw in Romans and we'll see, it's, a, it's flip-flopped order. And I know that, and Paul did too, okay? But here's where it comes from right here in chapter one. It says, and in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Um, that, that's amazing. So like in the midst of, of these condemning statements, he gives hope that it would be reversed, Verse 11, and the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head. I I want you to understand that like the people of Israel, because, and especially because this text is quoted in Romans 9 and applied to us, who came not only from the Jews, but from the Gentiles, Gentiles in the house. That means that this chapter is very important and relevant to us. And so, the way that Israel was unfaithful, we need to be able to see our unfaithfulness to the Lord. To do that, I want you to see, as they were unfaithful, I want you to see, secondly, his loving pursuit of them and his loving pursuit of us. And I think it'll help explain not only his faithfulness and his pursuing nature, but also our unfaithfulness to him. Hosea chapter two begins to describe the people of Israel and how they are like Gomer, Hosea's wife. Look at verse five, right there in the middle of chapter two and, and look at the very vivid picture that he gives. And it helps us understand God's heart and salvation. It says, For she said, I will go after my lovers, who gave me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Now, if you've studied God's Word and you've studied specifically the Old Testament, you know that these are symbols of God-given gifts, okay? So if you read somewhere and you see anything from, uh, you know, the oil, the drink, the wool, the flax, that's a picture of gifts that God gives. But we find Israel saying, I will go after my lovers. That's, I will go after someone other than the Lord who give me these things that only God can give verse 6 says therefore i will hedge up her way with thorns and i will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her path now what i want you to see first is this is that the lord pursues this hard-headed people and he pursues them by placing barriers in their way he places barriers in their way now what were they doing? Well, they were trying to get to who? Said they're lovers. They were trying to get to the one that they were devoting themselves to other than God who is faithful. And God places a barrier in the way. It's one of the strongest pictures that I can think of. It. It's a... It, visualizes a wall and they're in in the wall there's nothing but thorns and so it's a wall that they can't run around they can't get around the side they can't get through because as they're trying to get their way through the thorns are just cutting them up and there's you know i imagine bloodiness and 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 just a fight trying to get to what would only hurt them in the end and yet they back up finally and israel backs up and is bleeding and says oh I can't get to them, so I'm just gonna go back to God. I I can't get to who I want, so I'll go back to my first husband. And Israel turns around and returns. Now, what husband wants a wife coming back home because they couldn't get to the person they really wanted? Really, who wants that? Like, what a shameful thought. I only came back because I couldn't get to the other person. But yet the Lord says, that's exactly what it was like with my people. He placed barriers in their way. And man, I can think about my own life I can think about how I came to know the Lord. I I can think about how I have grown in the Lord and I can just see barriers of grace that he has placed throughout my lifetime. One of the greatest barriers that God ever gave me was my wife. And I say barrier in the most positive of ways. Before we were even Christians, God placed her as a barrier in my life. Stop doing certain things. Look for hope in some ways in the wrong places only to find the God that satisfies. God places barriers. And I want you to see the way that he does it here in this text. And and as you do it, understand it this way. And if you're taking notes, I think this would be helpful. One, he pursues them by placing barriers in their way. But secondly, he pursues them by taking from them what they wanted so they might see what they truly needed. There's a statement that I remember I heard years ago and I've heard it and I forgot who said it. And so I'm just gonna claim it, but it goes something like this. Wrong desires satisfied will never satisfy. Wrong desires satisfied will never satisfy. That's not Colby that said that, but we'll we'll go with it anyway. You can quote me. See, the people thought that happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction and joy could come from another source other than the God of the Bible. And they were seeking it passionately, but the Lord wouldn't let them get there. He pursued them with a barrier. See, they worshiped and served the wrong things. Verse 8 tells us, This, in chapter two, it says, and she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. That's a false God, worship of a false God. The picture is this, is that they worshiped and served the wrong things, believing that it was their God when in reality, they had turned their back on him. Now, I believe there's all kinds of application in this for us. So we've seen their story, but but what about ours? 2017, however old you are, whatever season of life you're in, what's your story? See, it can be money, it can be a job, it can be stability. It can be education, it can be popularity, it could be family, it could be stuff. Any and all of those things that are so good can become so bad and can destroy us if we put them on the pedestal that only God belongs. See, what happens if everything you do serves money? What happens if everything you do in some way serves your family, serves the education, serves popular? What, what if it does that? Then in the end, what happens is instead of you gaining the satisfaction that you hoped would come from those things, you end up being destroyed and destroying them in the process. On the flip side, and I'll say this to you as one of your pastors, listen, All of those things are gifts from God. And so if we're able to rightly see them through the atoning and the final work of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we will be able to actually appreciate and invest our time rightly, whether it's in money, job, education, family stuff. We'll see it rightly. And therefore they will have a work of not destroying us, but actually helping to sanctify us. Guys, don't miss where the blessing comes from and don't seek blessing from something that can never give it. The Lord teaches us here in a language that is hard for us to hear because it's relationally connected. See, if I just said to you theological facts you wouldn't have the same feeling or the same emotion or the same working inside you that you get when you bring a theological fact to a picture that the Holy Spirit brings. And for us, some of us need to understand the theology that we have in our head. We need to have it brought down into our hearts as we listen to the Lord show our sin and show his grace through a picture. And here we see it through a rebellious wife and a faithful husband. Look with me at verse 14 of chapter two. Just remember, the Lord doesn't just say he loves us. He gives pictures of his love that can connect to our hearts. Verse 14 of chapter two comes directly after the statement that Israel went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. So let's, let's go to the worst place we could be in today. It is the very picture of sin and sinful nature. It's being a people who try to live apart from God. We try to live as if he doesn't exist in work and if he's not for us, not against us. Israel forgot about the Lord. God buried buried their way. God removed what would hurt them from their grasp. And now I want you to see that he's going to actually pursue them by, this is so crazy by alluring, or by drawing, by making beautiful himself to them. Look at verse 14. It says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. I want you to see that he pursues them by attracting them to himself. Now, maybe you're a person who this kind of language makes you uncomfortable. And that's cool if it does. But I want you to see that romantic love is something that we tend to desire and we tend to understand when we hear it. And this is the way that the Lord chooses to speak about his people. Even a very rebellious people, he says that he would allure them. Now, when we think of alluring, I, I like to use the phrase make oneself beautiful or make oneself, have the other person see them as attractive. This is something that as a uh, husband of almost 12 years and as a boyfriend of the one that I'm married to for over half of my life, I understand at least in some, some way what it means to attract or to draw or to allure my wife. Like, I understand at least something. Now, guys, let me be clear. I probably understand this much, okay? All right, I'm not saying I get it. That would mean I don't, okay? But what I am saying is this. I do at least have experience in this with her. I know what would attract her, and I know what would not. And maybe I should start with what would not. (laughs) At least one thing that would not is when the stash starts growing, And the stash covers and gets over the lip a little bit, all right? That doesn't attract, and it probably doesn't attract yours either, just saying. All right, so (laughs) here's the thing. I know I probably should do something simple, like keep up cleanliness in my face, okay? She likes that. So if I want to attract Catherine, I don't grow my hair out as long as I possibly can. Avoid shaving my head for a few weeks so I look at least 12 years older. Uh, and you know, I, I, you don't do that. Like you do the things that you know she likes. She likes letters. I don't write those near enough and she can hear me right now. And so I'm really bringing condemnation on myself. But, but she likes letters. If I want to attract her, I should write to her. She likes for me to just let her just go to Target for a while and hang out. I should let her do that more often. That attracts her. Like she likes that. She likes when I actually do jobs around the house. Like I don't just need to tell her I love her. I need to show her. That is a part of the luring. Drawing attention. And for whatever reason, listen, this is crazy to me. God does that with us. And we're a people who aren't worthy of it. We're people who we tried to live our life without him. And instead he says, no, 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 no. Here's some thorns. Ow, ow, ow. And so we turn around and we start coming back and he goes, look how beautiful I am. Don't miss, don't miss. Look how great I am. Look how wonderful. He pursues us by alluring us to himself. Secondly, though, he he pursues them. He pursues this people and he pursues us by taking away from them distractions and he separates them from what would break their hearts. Listen, uh, this, oh, I love this so much. I'm getting hyper. Okay. Here we go. I got to come back. All right. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. And he says, and bring her into the wilderness. Now, what that means is this, I will pull her away and this is not a physical taking her to the wilderness, this is a spiritual, I will remove her away from those voices, from those people, from those false gods, from that false worship. I will remove her from what was attracting her the wrong way and I'll instead get her where I can speak, where she can hear me, where I can spend time This is very romantic language. And it's not meant to be weird. It's it's meant for us to understand God loves you and God wants you. And if he didn't, and if he didn't pursue you, and if he didn't show himself to you, you'd never go. He allures them. He shows them how beautiful he is. He takes them away from what was harming them. And just one word of application. Lord gave it to me this morning. I'm gonna throw it out there. We won't spend much time, but just hear me out. In relationships in the room, if you have something that is plaguing your relationship with your spouse, i.e. your computer or your phone, this might be the Lord speaking into your life and saying, get rid of that thing. Get a flip. Go to the wilderness that way. Because for some of you, you will not have a relationship with your spouse because you won't stop going after things that aren't her. I'm done with that. All right, come on. All right, here we go. Don't get me going. All right. Now, how does he pursue? Listen, lastly here we see in this section, he pursues with words. I love this. It says that he takes her to the wilderness and he speaks tenderly to her. Let me give you the literal here. Literally, he speaks to her heart. Do you know how needed it is for the Lord our God to speak to your heart? Like it's so important. Forget the face that you bring into the room, forget the facade, forget all those things. God knows your heart and God alone is able to speak into it the way that he can he speaks to her heart to the one that was against him to the one that was did shameful things he speaks to her heart i want you to know that's what the lord does with us now you may not see your sin you may not see your life and it may not look as gross you know as pathetic as Hosea and Gomer. But I want you to know, according to the Lord, this is very similar to what our life's like with him. And yet he loves us and he pursues us and he cares for us and he gives mercy. He gives mercy. First Peter 1.18 tells us, Actually, forget that. Don't go there yet. Let me just give you, give you a heads up. We won't go to the actual chapter, but chapter three of Hosea, we leave all these beautiful words and we go to a chapter where God calls Hosea to go find Gomer and buy her back. She is with another individual or on a slave block and he sends Hosea to buy her back. And I want you to be reminded this morning the pursuit of God for us involves his own son, purchasing us. First Peter 1 Peter 1:18 and 19 says knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The Lord redeemed Israel and the Lord redeems us. And I want you to see that this great mercy or this great grace, last point of the day, it transforms. It transforms. This is grace that transforms. Look at verse 16 of Hosea 2. It says, In that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my bell. What he's saying is, you will go to the right one You'll come to me. You you won't go to that one which cannot satisfy. You'll come to me. For I will remove the names of the bells from her mouth and they shall be remembered no more. Verse 19, he says, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Remember the names of the kids from earlier. It's so important coming back at the end here of chapter two. Verse 21 says, and in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. For I will sow her for myself in the land. The Lord brings up a day when he will take Jezreel, the one that was scattered as part of judgment. But now we see a scattering because of blessing, because of favor, because of redemptive work. And so he'll sow her in the land. I believe that we can connect this very clearly to the book of Acts and the spreading of the gospel. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And they shall say back, you are my God. It's grace that transforms. Go back over to Romans to close. Romans chapter nine. I don't want you to get lost in the midst of all of the really difficult, hard to grasp language of Romans 9 and miss the very heart of our God who loves to give mercy. Today, if you don't know the Lord, I want you to know that he is here And he is pursuing and he is making known his ways as he makes known his son. And when we see Jesus Christ die in our place and raise from the grave, we see the clearest picture that God is love and that God is mercy. We see the clearest picture that God gives grace Not just to the Jew, but to the Gentile. He gives grace to anyone who will receive. And understand today, it doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter where you've come from. None of that matters. It's not as deep as his grace is. And we see that so clearly pictured in the book of Hosea. One of the worst situations we can imagine, and yet we see his love shine all the more. As we study Romans 9, I pray that we don't see a God who is harsh, but we see a God who loves in a way that surpasses any love that you have ever experienced in this world outside of him. Today, if you don't know him, allow his grace to transform you. This is grace that when we see it and when we experience, we find freedom. Freedom to love and freedom to live, freedom to enjoy. Now I can enjoy my family. Now I can enjoy money because I understand it rightly. Now I can enjoy my life because I'm not living for those things. I live for him who loved me and gave a son for me. It's grace that transforms. When I read Romans 9, I understand that as I watch God take in and transform the israel the israelite people in hosea 2 i am watching him transform my own soul even us whom he's called not from the jews only but also from the gentiles i call you today if you don't know the lord come and believe come and believe One of the sweetest ways we can respond, and Keith and I have been talking about this a lot lately. One of the sweetest ways we can respond is come and ask for prayer. Come and pray, come to the altar. Come to me, I would love to pray with you and over your life. Come and pray. Allow the Lord to work in your heart the way that you are very aware he's working. Don't harden your heart today. Instead, humble your life and come to him. Allow his grace to transform your life. Father, we love you. We thank you for the grace that we...